this weekend, we are finishing up our Sent series. We've been talking about how God is a missionary God, a sending God who sends people out. And the core of Jesus's mission was a sent mission, right? He was sent, and that's also our mission, right? That's kind of our, our theme verses that we've been looking at. John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. That's Jesus talking, right? John 20, 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, right? In the same way that Jesus, when he's like, hey, you know what? You guys also go into the world. And so following Jesus, we've said, isn't about sitting in the church. Right? It's about being sent out into the world. We've said that the, the, the capacity of the church isn't about seating capacity. It's not about how big it is, the big building, how many chairs we have in the room. It's about our sending capacity, how many people we send into the world to make Jesus make sense. And so if you're a guest, uh, you're still checking out Jesus and Christianity, what that looks like, this is a great series to kind of peek in and see what it means to follow Jesus to the core, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and live a life for Jesus. So we're glad you're here and can check this out. Because the first week, we talked about how we are sent to evangelize. We are sent to evangelize. That was our first week. And so we looked at and boiled it down to how really not all of us are gifted at this. We don't all have this natural ability to be really friendly, walk up to people and convert them on the spot, right? We're not all gifted that way, but we're all commanded to still talk about Jesus, to share about Jesus and what he's done in our life. Like we're all supposed to do that when we have this joy in our life, Jesus in our life, and we have, hey, you know what? I want to share that with other people. And we boiled it down and said, hey, one of the ways we can do that is you pray for your three. Three people in your life that don't know Jesus. People that you interact with on a regular basis uh, that you come into contact with, and you just pray for them to come to know Jesus, whether it's through you, someone else, whatever it is, you're praying for them. And it's actually really cool, uh, the stories, some of you have them, that we get when you pray for your three, and you're like, my three is here today, right? They came to church, or my three now loves Jesus and follows him, right? It's the coolest thing to see God work that way as we start to pray for him. He answers those prayers. And what we did, so we have these bracelets uh, there in the back, right? It says Grace Church on the outside, and on the inside it says pray for your three. There's still some back there if you'd like one uh, to remind you regularly to pray for your three, in a, to keep that mindset of evangelism, to be praying for them, to share Jesus with them when we can and when it's part of the conversation. And ultimately, we're not like, all right, here's the manuscript. Everyone just get ready to say this exact thing. No, you're sharing your story, sharing how Jesus changed your life, and he can change theirs too. So that was the first week. We are sent to first evangelize. Last week, Joel did an awesome job unwrapping how, or uh, Jonathan, how we are sent to influence the world by making visible the invisible Jesus. Visible, the invisible Jesus, right? Being the hands and feet of Christ. And so uh, Caleb Davis, one of our young adult uh, people here, and he's actually been playing on the band before, uh, plays keys, he did exactly this uh, over the summer. If you notice, he hasn't been around as much because he was in Cambodia with Teen Missions, helping students, lead students to serve other people over there. They went to different uh, villages that could only be accessed by dirt bikes. And so they fixed up these dirt bikes, went out, shared the gospel. They did these presentations. They did skits. They played with the kids and the parents and then showed them the hands. and feet. They, they made the invisible Jesus visible right? to these, this, these hurting people. That's who they went to. They showed this sentness. He has some really cool stories uh, that it's always awesome to see God work when we are willing to say, yes, I want to go 
and be you to other people. I want to be you to hurting people. And God does awesome stuff when we're willing to say that, when we're willing to be sent and go and do that. And so we talk to him and catch him and say, hey, what are, some of those th- what are some cool stuff that God did? He could talk to you for hours, really, to see what God did. But guess what? We have hurting people here, too. There's not just hurting people in Cambodia or in Madagascar and in other parts of the world. We have hurting people here in Barberton and where we live. And so we're sent to influence the world, to show the invisible Jesus and make him visible. Right? So that's what we talked about last week. In this, uh, today, this morning, what I want to do is we're going to end our series looking at kind of the, the final huddle that Jesus has with his disciples, kind of like a team huddle right before a game. Who's, who's been played sports in high school or played sports before where you kind of have that, that huddle right before you started, whether it was a cross-country meet, right, football team, soccer team, right? Lots of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? For us, for our high school soccer team, we had this, you know, usually you have this whole routine, right, getting ready for a game. You, you warm up physically. You get your, you're playing your music or whatever. You know, you're getting ready as a team, going through the warm-up, stuff like that. And then what we would do is we would actually gather as a team off the field. We wouldn't even be in the stadium. We'd go outside the stadium and gather as a team. And so that wasn't the place that the coach taught us new drills or taught us new things, right? He'd actually remind us what we had been focusing on that week. It's like, hey, this is the team we're facing. Remember number 11, he's really fast, but he's not as good in this area. So remember this. Remember this guy. We looked at the scouting report. Look at the team. Hey, this is who we're facing. This is what we're focusing on. Here's the few things to remember as we head into the game. Nothing new, but just remind us who we are, what we're planning on doing, what we are as a team, and the goal that we're going to set out for, right? So we'd be together, and then we'd actually, I thought this was the coolest thing ever, it still gives me chills to watch this when they do it, they still do that as a team. Um, They walk into bagpipes, right, which is super cool. Um, Don't know how to play those, which would be a really fun activity to do, but they walk into the bagpipes, and the reason we do it is because they used to walk out into war with the bagpipes, saying, hey, they're going off to war. And they would say they would go off to war as boys, but come back as men. The experience would change them and mature them. They're going out young and experienced, but they're coming back with experience and learning. And that's kind of how we're like, hey, we're going out to battle to the other team, right? We're going out to the battlefield. We know what we're doing. We're going out together, and he sends us out onto the field to play. That was kind of the last thing. And I think in a similar way, this is kind of what Jesus does with his disciples. He's like, all right, here we go. I, this is what I've been teaching you. Don't forget. Here we go. Boom, right? So let's look at it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's what we call the Great Commission. Here's what it says. You can follow along on screen, or you can use the black Bibles as well. If you need one, you can grab that. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you're welcome to take that back Bible home with you. It's a gift um, from us to you. So Matthew 28, uh, starting in 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's what we're focusing on, right? He comes, he's like, all right, here we go. You know what we've learned. Now go out into the battlefield. It's really what it is. Are you going out to war, going out to the battlefield? Remember what we learned. So that's what we're focusing on today. We are sent to make disciples. We are sent to make disciples. And now, before we actually dive into that, like us making disciples, uh, we first have to do a couple of things. And one is better understand the term disciple and what that means. Because really, the way we sometimes understand today, even in the church, is not exactly the way that they 
meant with disciples. Sometimes we modernize it a little bit, and, and we don't really have anything like that today that follows that exactly, which I think is interesting that that's maybe why Jesus went to that time frame of the world where they had this structure in place, which is an interesting thought. But take, for example, you know, words change over time. And similar, disciple has kind of changed over time, too, to mean what we have today. So, like, take the term lit, for example, okay? All the students are like, oh, gosh, I know where he's going, right? If you asked in 1910 what the term lit meant, they're like, oh, well, it's the past tense of light, right? I lit my candle. It's now on fire, right? But if you ask someone in the 1990s what that meant, right, they... Especially if you ask it about a person, probably intoxicated, right? They're not on fire, right? But they're intoxicated, right? So the term changed a little bit. And now if you say it today, right? Kids say it all the time. It's like, oh, that party was lit. Or, hey, this was so fun. It's cool or exciting or fun, right? It's like, oh, man, that was, that was a lit roller coaster. I don't know. what this, You probably heard some young kids saying it. If you have kids, they probably say it too. Don't say it as an adult, though, okay? It's just weird. <laughs> Even me saying it just doesn't come out right, right? So the term has changed over the years, and disciple has in a little bit as well. And so it meant a little bit different in that culture. So let me dig into what that meant for them. Because Jesus was known as a lot of things. Son of God, uh, Messiah, Savior. But to them, right, they would have seen him as a rabbi. As a rabbi. And so of the 90 times he is referred to in the New Testament, about 60 times, it's the term rabbi. So to understand the idea of being a disciple, we really have to understand what it meant for Jesus to be a rabbi. So Jesus wasn't calling people, or he wasn't walking up and saying, hey, I want you to make one decision, say yes to Jesus, and then you can go to heaven. Like That's not the message he was telling people to do or the call he was having on people's life. He was saying, hey, I want you to become my disciple. I'm a rabbi calling you to become a disciple of me, to follow me. And so the Greek word for disciple here generally means student or follower, but not student like, you know, a university or high school, and not necessarily follower like Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, right? It's a little bit different than that. And the thing is, being a disciple wasn't actually specific to Jesus. This wasn't a new thing that he invented. Uh, it's actually been plenty of rabbis that had disciples. We see that throughout scripture. Plenty of people had disciples. Um, and it was actually uh, this really this learning cycle that Hebrew children went through specifically. It started with what was called Beth Sefer. Okay? It's the house of the book. It's kind of where all primary school for all Hebrew children would go through and learn their ABCs, learn how to read, kind of the basics, and they would start to memorize the Torah, right? first five books of the Bible. They'd start to memorize that. It's kind of getting their grounds. Most of them would go through it, get this understanding, and by age 12, they'd be done, and this is where most kids, got, boys would go work in the fields or their, the trade with their parents, with their dad, so that's where the boys would go, and the girls would usually go home, get married, you know, start family, things like that. So they had, at this point, most of them went and did that. But the best of the best, right, the ones that were a little bit better, had, had a better understanding of some of this, went on to the next level, which was the Beth Talmud, which is the house of learning. So this is literally a schoolhouse attached to the, the, the sanctuary, right, the synagogue there, and they'd probably have a one-on-one -on -one teacher kind of teaching them the more in-depth level of, 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 of teaching and learning for that level, right, looking at the Old Testament scriptures, studying the Old Testament theology, right, looking into that in-depth, the best of the best of the best rose to the top of this. And then from there is what the, would be called Talmudin, 
is where that's the becoming of a disciple, of a rabbi, right? Is at that level that a rabbi would then come to the best of the best of the best and grill them again to be like, okay, what, what are you, what's your stance on this point? What's your stance here? What's your theology here? What do you, it grill them to then become their disciple, right? So most rabbis did it back then. It was like, hey, we go to the best of the best, grill them through all this, and then they'd get their disciple. It was hard to be a disciple. It wasn't like an easy process that everyone got to do. Clearly, only a small sect of people got to do it. And so really, a better term to help us understand that today was is apprenticeship. Right? It's apprenticeship. Someone who sticks close to a teacher and learned everything they could from them. Right? And they did that in three ways. First, they, they would attach their life to a teacher. Right? Literally, their life would be, they'd follow them everywhere, they'd eat meals with them, they'd sleep at the foot of their bed, right? Bathroom probably went as a little weird, but they went everywhere learning everything they could from their teacher, okay? Well, there was a, a Hebrew blessing, it was interesting, it was, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Interesting, right? Because it's like, well, who would be on covered in dust, right? But the thought was, you're so close to your rabbi that the, the dust that their feet kicks up, cakes you. You're so close to them, you follow them so well that you're covered in their dust because you're so close. Interesting way to look at it, but an interesting blessing as well, that, hey, may you be so close. So they would attach their life, and they would also become like their teacher, doing everything that they could to be exactly like them, picking up their mannerisms, the way that they taught and did certain things. They wanted to become like their teacher. And finally, they would want to do what their teacher did, exactly as a disciple maker, right? Making other disciples, being a teacher. They wanted to share the same passions, priorities, patterns, and purposes of that teacher. And so that's what we see Jesus doing here is in Matthew, he's, he's been teaching and discipling these people. And then he's like, okay, now go make more apprentices, make more disciples, make more people like this, right? to bring up these kind of people. So hopefully that helps you understand, at least in their eyes, a little bit of what a disciple meant. It's a little different than just someone that's like, oh, I'm a follower on Instagram. It's like not quite like that. It's more like an apprenticeship. And so with this in mind, I think before we even look at us making disciples, we need to ask a different question, a deeper question. Am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I a disciple of Jesus? And I know plenty of you guys are like, well, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm sitting here. We're at church. Yeah, I'm a Christian, right? And so whether we, you know, we are, we're still wrestling with that, I want to challenge you guys like, to reflect for a second. Are we lining up with the, what Jesus actually called us to? Or have we stooped down to be something the culture is redefining? Because if we think about it, the Christian, the name of Christian, right, the, the term Christian has also changed over time as well. Right? Now when people say I'm a Christian, it's kind of hard to tell what they mean because they could means several different things, right? Sometimes it's like, well, it just means I go to church. I attend regularly. Uh, I go to a church regularly. Does that mean I'm a Christian? Or if I believe in God, at least. Just one God, but just believe in God. I don't know about Jesus, but there's at least a God, right? Or maybe they just think the Bible is a good book to live by. Or, or even sometimes we use it to just say, I'm not Buddhist, Hindu, or Muslim, so I'm Christian, right? That's like the fourth category to fall in. Sometimes we just like, you know what, I wear Christian merch, I like their shirts and stuff, so I'm a Christian, right? We sometimes have changed, I think molded sometimes what it means to be a Christian. So look back at the passage we looked a few weeks ago, Mark 8, 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Notice he says crowd with his disciples. He intentionally separates this crowd of people that have been following him around and his disciples. This was on purpose. There's a distinction between all these different people and then the few that have actually chosen to follow him. And so I think it's worth asking, hey, am am I a Christian that's in the crowd, that's a fan of Jesus, or am I a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus that's a follower of Jesus? When we look at the term Christian, it's actually only used three times in the New Testament. And when it's used, it's actually a negative way. Right? Secular people calling, calling Christ followers Christians. Right? It's like it's a negative term. It's kind of lost the meaning in our culture, if we're honest. Right? Sometimes we say a Christian, like, oh, then people are like, oh, well, you're just a hateful person and you just are stubborn. Right? They, they kind of get a wrong view in their mind of what it should be. It's interesting, 76% of our country says they're Christian. Which, if we're honest, feel like if 76% of our country were Christian, actual disciples, I think our world would look a little different, don't you think? The term disciple is used over 260 times in the New Testament. It's the most common term that Jesus uses to refer to his followers. He says, hey, they're my disciples. He says it over and over again. Another survey, uh, an independent survey, results that only 8% of Christians are truly disciples. It's a little scary. So we, I think we have to start with, this, hey, am I in the crowd or am I a disciple? I, w- I would say it this way, kind of going back to our team huddle, right? Am I part of the team or am I in the stands? It would be really weird, right? So we're all in the huddle, we started, bagpipes start playing, and then I were to just walk and go sit in the stands. Right? Wouldn't that be so weird? Like, I'd have the uniform on. I'd be, like, going and sitting there, right? I'd be like, ah, oh, yeah. That would be weird, right? It was like, wait, you were just in the huddle. You have the uniform on. You're our goalie. You need to be out on the field, right? It's like, hold up, right? I think sometimes we do that as Christ followers, right? We're, we're in the huddle. We've been sent, and then we go and sit, right? Playing soccer, right, playing any sport is not about sitting in the stands, watching the game, and just cheering them on. It's about being in the game. And following Jesus is not about sitting in the church. It's about being sent into the world, right? That's what we've been saying. So I have to ask ourselves, hey, are we sitting in the stands? Have I accidentally found myself sitting and watching in the stands? Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, says this challenging yet pretty straightforward statement. He says, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ, so I think what he's getting at is that being a disciple, you know, it's not simply you know, adhering to a set of beliefs, you know, conforming to this code of conduct, or even just completing a curriculum. It's about attaching our life to a person, to Jesus, right? To Jesus, and that's our goal, is to be with Jesus. Mark 3.14 says, uh, this is talking about Jesus, it says, he appointed 12, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. First, he wanted them to be with him. He wanted to be together. And I think that's important for us to realize before we even talk about making disciples, we have to be with Jesus. Whether we've been a disciple for a while, it's like, hey, are we still with Jesus? 
that we've been taking time to be with him because that's what he wants first and foremost is us to be with him. We have to first wrestle with that question before we can think about making disciples. And so what I want to do, I want to I want to wrestle through some more questions, like a couple questions that ask us, "Hey, am I in the stands or am I on the field? Am I really living out what it means to decide to be a disciple?" When we say that, we say yes to Jesus, yes to attaching our life to him, yes to him being our savior, our lord. That's where we have to start. So I'm going to go through these questions, uh, and then we'll tackle the last section. So first, am I practicing the presence of Jesus in my life? Am I practicing the presence of Jesus in my life? And so what I mean by that is, have I simply made Jesus a part of my life, or is he my life? Right? Has he become my life? Right? Have I attached mine to his? Being a Christian means just making Jesus a part of our life. Being a disciple means attaching my life to Jesus. Being a Christian for many is about like saying a prayer. But being a disciple is about continually practicing the reality of his presence in our life. Being a Christian for many is about treating Jesus as a resource to access that sometimes that we want him. But being a disciple is about making him our rhythm and our routine and our, our tune for life. Could we ask ourselves and could we say that I'm covered in the dust of my rabbi? Or even more so, maybe even broader, whose dust am I covered by? Am I following someone else? What's my following? So Brother Lawrence was known for his uh, ability and just talking about the presence of God and, and especially during a difficult time uh, that he was leading and taking care of people and uh, even through mundane tasks. And here's how, how he says it. He says, the most holy and necessary practice in our life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. It's an interesting way to look at it. I think sometimes I've totally fall, this is something that uh, God needs to work on with my heart as well, is prayer. He says, not limiting the conversation in any way, right? With prayer, we're talking to God. Sometimes we see it as a moment that we go and do and we sit and we pray, right? And it's great to gather together and to do that. But sometimes we do this. So if I were to say, all right, guys, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Most of us, we'd hold our hands, close our eyes, bow our head, right? That doesn't say to do that in Scripture, right? It's, why do we do it? It's sometimes a great way to, like, help with distraction. You know, if things are going, it's like, okay, I can just kind of help not be distracted, but I think sometimes that helps limit our prayer, keeping it to that moment. Right? And at the end of our prayer, what do we usually say? Amen, right? Which is, you know, hey, let it be true, right? You're kind of, hey, this is great, you know, but sometimes we see that as like a conclusion, like, okay, prayer's done. Prayer's starting and prayer's done, right? But it seems like Brother Lawrence is saying and encouraging us, there's more, it's more than that. Maybe it should be a, more of a conversation that doesn't end. It's like, you just, you just start praying, oh, God, wow, this is awesome. Thank you for this. No amen, right? You just, you know, a constant conversation and what's going on. I think there's something to that. I think there's something to that. Dallas Willard uh, says this on the presence of God. He says, this is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. 
In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former one as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. And so how do we practice the presence of Jesus? He's not here, right? So how are we practicing this presence of Jesus? Well, the disciples wondered the exact same thing. Right? They're like, wait, you're leaving? So now what? Like, how are we going to be with you, right? So what does he promise them? He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be here. I'm sending my spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit then to be with us. And so I would say to be covered in the dust of Jesus is to be filled with the spirit of Jesus, to keep in step with the spirit, to, to display the fruit of the spirit. Right? That's what it means to live. That's what life is. Spoiler alert, if you saw it in your program, right? Life is, is our next series. And we're actually going to be unwrapping all of that, specifically through Romans 8, life in the spirit and what that looks like to be living with God, being in that presence and being in the life of the spirit. So quick plug, I invite you guys to come back to that because we, we get new meaning, new life, purpose, perspective, new family by following Jesus and being in the life of the spirit with him. So that's our first question. Second is, am I listening to the teachings of Jesus? Am I listening to the teachings of Jesus? So his call wasn't to just believe in me and then you can go to heaven. When they heard the call, the rabbi was calling them like, hey, he wants us to listen and and obey all of his teachings. That's what he's calling them to. He said, hey, take my yoke, which is my teaching on you. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He wanted disciples who would model and do everything that he did and said and talked about. He didn't want like a business partner that would sign a contract once and then no longer interact with him. It was a lot deeper than that. Unfortunately, I feel like our system of education on like teaching and understanding has kind of shifted our view of that, our understanding of it. Anymore today, right, we have all these different teachers, all these different subjects, and we lump everyone together and just say, all right, go learn. And you have all these like 30 kids to a, like a teacher, and, it's, and you, you learn your different subjects, and you, you, t- you test to make a test to, to get the right answers on the test, and that's what you learn for is the test. Whereas apprenticeship, right, discipleship is a little different. It's not in just a classroom, and it's not just connected to one teacher, and it's not just about intellectuality, right, not just being, you know, and knowing everything. It's about experiencing everything and being able to understand it, being able to wrestle with it, ask questions, to understand it that way, not just up here, but in here as well. So the challenge that Jesus says, hey, I, I want you to learn my teachings, not just knowledge-wise, but experience them, to understand them fully. And it's funny that he says easy yoke, because he's got some hard teachings that are harder to follow. That are like, wow, that's challenging. Right? Am I willing to learn all of his teachings, even the hard ones? The ones on sexuality, the ones on finances, worry, anxiety, all, 
the hard ones too are challenging. We actually see this in John 6, right? Another separation of the crowd and disciples. Right? The crowd's following him around. He's feeding them. He's healing them, doing the, all these different things. And they keep following him around until this moment. He gives them a hard teaching. And they straight up say, like, whoa, this is hard. Who can accept this? And the crowds leave, but the disciples stay. It was a defining moment for many of them. When they heard something, the crowd that was outside their comfort zone, they decided to leave, but the disciples stayed. When the crowds heard something that they just didn't like, it didn't tickle their ears, they left, the disciples stayed. When the crowd felt like they didn't get their physical needs met any longer in the way that they wanted, they left, but the disciples stayed. Are we staying and listening to all of Jesus' teachings? Third question, we'll start going through these a little quicker. Uh, am I loving Jesus more the more I follow Jesus? Pretty straightforward, right? John 14, 15, and then later in 21, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Why don't we listen to him and follow what he says to do? Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Are we continually following in love with Jesus? That's the best thing about following him. It's, sometimes we get lost, like, oh, I follow Jesus for the blessings are nice, or oh, I, I know that I'll, I won't be in hell, which are all right things to, to look forward to, but we fall more in love with Jesus when we love Jesus. Is he our treasure of ever-increasing worth? Fourth question, am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I becoming more like Jesus? So it's not just about what we do. That's important, but it's not the only thing that we focus on. Uh, asking WWJD all the time is not the way he wants us to do it. We'd say it like this. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. When you know who you are, then you will know what to do. Dallas Willard kind of adds on to this. He says, Jesus does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was, permeated with love then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. So how do we become more like Jesus then? Well, I'd see and I've heard explained like this. So sometimes we'll, we'll come to church and we hear a sermon. We're like, man, I want to become more like Jesus or that's how I need to become more like Jesus. I need to do this and this and this. I'm going to go do that. So we go home, we try really, really hard but then there's some aspects of our life that still don't look like Jesus, so we get frustrated. We're like, oh, well, I can't. And we come back the next week, and we're like, well, there it is. I need, to, I need to work on here, here, and here. That's how I become more like Jesus. Just go home, try really hard. But then it's this vicious cycle of trying hard and failing. How does it sound like if I came, you know, say I've been doing CrossFit for a while, and, you know, I'm a pro CrossFitter. I'm like, you know what? I see some potential in here. Some of you guys, I bet you I could take you to the CrossFit Games, right? That's their big event every year where they name the fittest person. Let's say I look out and be like, we got some of the fittest people out here, here in Barberton, Ohio. I bet you I could take some of you guys. You know what? I could motivate you, encourage you. I could be like, all right, we're going to do this. You got this. We can make you the fittest person on earth. You know what? Let's just go tomorrow. We could go down here in a couple weeks, go down to the games. You guys could compete. And I bet you you could be the fittest. And you can do, let's say I motivate, get you all excited. I bet you some of you guys would try real hard. You guys would get close, right? There's a couple of you guys. I bet you can make it. You guys would be really, pretty close. But some of you guys, oh, it's not even worth trying, right? It's just, what in the world? 
But if some of you guys would train, right? like, okay, I'm going to start where I'm at. I'm not going to go and do those crazy workouts, the crazy amount of weight that these other CrossFitters do. I'm going to start where I'm at, a little bit at a time. Start with my weight, start with my reps, start with my, my stuff, start where I'm at, go a little bit at a time and train. Start a discipline of like, hey, I'm going to start my own schedule of training every day. I'm going to try and do it at this time, and I'm going to try and do it this time, right? And then you don't go out and do three workouts after, in one day after doing zero the day before, right? You slowly work yourself up, right? Rich Froning and all these other guys, they like working out all day, right? These CrossFit guys that are, you know, ridiculous. You don't start go working out all day after you've only worked out once a week, right? It's training a little bit over time. What if becoming like Jesus was not about trying really hard, but training? Luke 6, 39 through 40 says this, he has also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So what if we practiced being in his presence, listened to his teaching, practiced loving him, trained to eventually become more like him, little bit at a time? What if it was actually become more like Jesus was a little bit of habits here and there, spiritual disciplines to make our life like Jesus, to listen to Jesus and to learn from Jesus. It's not about eventually, you know, jumping in and I'm perfectly able to love my enemies, right? It's like, well, do we find it easier over time to love my enemies? Do I find forgiving a little bit quicker, getting better at it slowly as I train? Am I more prone to worry or to trust more over time? You're not expected to be perfect CrossFitter best in the world right away. It takes training. And it takes training, right, to follow Jesus and become more like Jesus. Final question, am I doing what Jesus did? The goal of the apprentice, right, was to, to do what they did. Right? It wasn't their main goal, but they were focusing on, hey, well, he's doing that, so I should probably do that too. It's not just about information, right, but transformation, that transformation translates into a disciple doing what his teacher does. So four areas we can look at. Do I share the same passions as Jesus? Am I happy what Jesus is happy about? Am I sad and frustrated with what he's frustrated with? What am I passionate about? Does it line up with Jesus and what he's passionate about? Do I have the same priorities Jesus has? Are there certain things that aren't there that should be? Or do I have some things that are higher than what Jesus would have? Am I partnering in the same purpose Jesus is? Is my focus his same focus? Am I, am I doing things with the same purpose and, and, and focus as he is? Or is it for something else? Finally, do I adopt the same patterns or rhythms as Jesus did? Does my life flow look the same? Does my rhythm look like Jesus' or does it look like something completely different? He encourages us, John 14, 12, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I was puzzled by that for so long, I still am. Like, how are we going to do greater things than Jesus, right? It's Jesus, right? I think at times we 
try to think, well, if he's Jesus, well, we're becoming like Jesus. Everyone in here has the opportunity. We could become like Jesus. And many of us are many Jesuses, right? Going out from here, making the invisible Jesus visible in all these different places. More than one person in impact they can make, right? All these different people making Jesus visible, becoming more and more like Jesus. We make such a huge impact. So, all those questions, I think, to help us reflect, hey, am I, am I a fan? Am I in the crowd, a fan of Jesus? Or I'm a discipler, a follower of Jesus? Are we in the stands watching, or are we on the field with the team? It's a critical distinction to make, I think, before we even move on to say, hey, God, I want to be with you first. I want to be with you first, know what you have to say, and then go. So the question is, first, am I a disciple? And then the command, quickly as we wrap up, go and make disciples. So am I making disciples of Jesus? That's a huge part of being a disciple. And he says, hey, now that you're done, go and make disciples as well. And so for us today, right, we don't have no Beth Talmud and things like that that kind of get us all. Right? Making disciples is getting and asking other people to follow Jesus as we follow Jesus. Straightforward. Asking other people to follow Jesus as we follow Jesus. Paul talks about that very idea, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Sometimes we have this mystical view of discipling and discipleship. When I first heard the term, um, I was like seven or eight or just really young, and um, we were playing upstairs or whatever, and I, we saw my dad go downstairs uh, in our house and, uh, with one of his buddies, and my mom's like, hey, guys, you guys need to be quiet. Dad's doing discipleship what? He's doing discipleship? It's like, man, it's just like this, this far-off, mystical, super-spiritual thing. Like, you have to be really mature to do, right? Like, I was like, I already saw my dad as Superman, and I was like, man, he's doing discipleship? What? You know, it's like crazy. I was like, oh, man, I wonder what's going on down there. There's probably angels and things with them stuff, because like super spiritual stuff, right? And I was like, man, this is crazy. I remember the one time I like saw the light coming through, like, a vent. I was like, oh, there's angels down there. It's just the light was on. I don't know. I was really getting it. I was like, man, it's this super spiritual thing, but it's not, right? He says, go and make disciples. Everyone who follows Jesus is to make disciples. It's not about a class or even a curriculum. It's about a relationship that we have. As a disciple, we need to ask, hey, am I inviting others to follow Jesus? just as I follow Jesus. We don't have it all figured out. It's interesting to see that everything Jesus says and has to talk about is in the context of relationships. Following Jesus can't be done in a vacuum, right? We do it not only with other people, as other believers, right? we do it together, but we talk to other people that don't know him too. So, a couple more questions. I know we've asked a lot of questions today, but some questions and reflection as we say, hey, who am I making disciples of Jesus? Who am I inviting to attach their life to Jesus with me? Right, disciples follow Jesus, and Jesus, when we follow Jesus, says, hey, make fishers of men. Make disciples. If we're not making disciples, do we follow Jesus? It's a key thing to ask and wonder. Who is being covered by the dust of the rabbi with me? Who am I inviting to learn the teachings of Jesus with me? Who am I loving Jesus with? 
you know, start thinking and processing, God, who do you want me to invite to do this with? Who am I helping to become like Jesus? Who am I partnering with to do what Jesus did? Just as Caleb went out to Cambodia, he didn't go out by himself. He had a team. He led a bunch of students. He had other team leaders as well. They did it together. Who are you doing it with? If you're in a a small group, it's a great place to start. Who around in your biblical community can you join hands with on a deeper level? If you're volunteering in Power Kids, student ministries, great opportunity right there. You have that relationship already. It's not about going and finding a stranger and saying, do you want to do discipleship? Right? It's picking and finding the people God's already placed in your life. Parents as well. We're the parents in the room, right? We kind of have some captive audiences in our home, right? How can we help our children become more and more like Jesus? Each individual child needing raised up in that way. We all are sent to make disciples. When we've said yes to Jesus, he sends us out to make disciples. And this was a a tough thing to wrestle with as we're like, well, okay, where do you want me to go with this? The thing is, Jesus didn't go to this super elect group of people. He didn't go to the the best of the best of the best and grill them all. He went to fishermen, tax collectors, a, a doctor of a different profession. He went to all these different walks of life and said, hey, I want you to be my disciple. He called all those different people, and he calls all of us today. We have teachers in here. We have doctors. We have counselors. We have all these different people from all these walks of life that Jesus calls to go and make disciples where we're at. He doesn't, it's not the job of a pastor, right? Something that we don't have right now, right? We're still called to make disciples, still called to reach out to the lost, to make the invisible Jesus visible. It's not a job of one person. It's the job of the church, job of us to go out and make disciples together. So let's go get covered in his dust and invite others to join us. Let's pray.